It is a joy to fellowship and to praise our Lord together. And uh, many of you dealing with colds or whatnot, it's just, uh, hey, the Lord loves to hear you sing, whether it's croaky or not. And uh, praise God for that. Recently, I was leafing through one of my old high school yearbooks. I don't know if they have those in Australia, but there's there's thousands of pictures of people I don't know as I leaf through them. I mean, my class, there was probably, my school, years 9 to 12, had over 2,000 students, and um, I think enrollment's now 2,800, so they've expanded the school even more. And as I was looking through them, I'm like, well, it's been a long time since I was in high school. I don't recognize a lot of these people. Most of the people I don't recognize. But every one of them is significant. Everyone has a story. Everyone has great potential to be used greatly by God for his service. And that each one had been crafted before they were born by God, who knew them before they were given a name by parents and who loved them. And, and we can be like flipping through a, a book and, and really overlook people because we don't see them as significant. And that can happen too when we go through the Bible and we go into passages that have a lot of names. We, we get a little uncomfortable with a bunch of names that we don't know. You're like, well, who are these people anyway? I don't know who they are. Like, I know David and, and Samuel, but, and Jesus, of course, and Paul, but who is this guy? So I hope as we go through Nehemiah, there's a few sections that do have some names. They can be a bit tedious, perhaps at times, but believing that every word of God is pure and it has been given for our instruction. I hope you guys come away with new heroes today, people that you can identify with as we go through Nehemiah chapter 3 and we consider the way that God used these people to do a work that had not been done for over a 100 years, that uh, for a 100 years these walls had been rubble and God used them under Nehemiah's leadership, to do great things. And there's not one expert builder among them. There's no one who, who is necessarily a tradie. We see goldsmiths and merchants and priests and all, all sorts of people from far and from near who work together to accomplish God's work. So this happens in 444 B.C. We're going to be introduced to a whole group of people that... They did different jobs, and they did their jobs differently, but they all worked together to complete this one wall. And if there was any part of the wall that wasn't done, it wouldn't have availed them. But they all worked together and completed it. And what a good picture that is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its relevance for today and for these people that you used to do an inspirational and notable task, that it was you who did it. You accomplished it. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but by your Spirit that those mountains can become plains, that you will accomplish the purposes for which you have created us, that you will have the victory, you will have the allegiance of all, and you will work in our lives and use us for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would uh, grant us favor in your eyes that we might look upon you. We might see you in your glory, and, and truly our problems would seem very small. In fact, nothing next to your power and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. When the work was done, after in 52 days, 
something that hadn't been done for a hundred years, it wasn't the people that received the credit. The enemies and the people who tried to stop the work from being done, they credited God with doing it. We read that in Nehemiah 6.16. It says, And so it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And would it be that God would use us to do things for his glory? That people would not, uh, you would not be elevated in their sight, but they would look upon something in your life and say, God did that. You don't have to tell them that God did it. They know that God did it because they know we couldn't have done it on our own. So praise the Lord that he, he has great plans and he'll use ordinary people to do extraordinary things when they are willing and obedient to him. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we read, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur the son of Imri built. As we go through, I'm just going to make some brief observations on the text. I also have a graphic I want to show you uh, that shows the walls that they built in 444 B.C. Now, if you see the... this, I'll just walk over here. This is the wall that was built in Nehemiah's day. That's in 444 B.C. The walls were rebuilt. The, the, the outer one, the one that you see, the large uh, clear wall, I suppose, not the dark one, that is the current day, temp, uh, that's the old city, modern day. It was rebuilt in 1537 to 1541 A.D. by Sultan Suleiman, who ordered the ruined walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. So there's almost 2,000 years difference between uh, the 444 B.C. wall that Nehemiah built, then there was the Temple Mount expansion, and the walls that you see now were built in 1540 around then. So we won't leave that up the whole time, but it gives you an idea of how it was situated. You see the east gate on the right side. If you go down to the bottom, those who've gone to Israel, you know that that's where Hezekiah's tunnel is, and the Gihon Spring is down there. So that was protecting the water supply. That's why it was going to that level. Now that's not the, the source of the water. That They don't have to protect that anymore from armies. So And it's very steep. Like If, if I was going to work on that wall, I would prefer to be working towards the top, not on that slope, because it's like this. And uh, we had some people grow very faint on the way up from that area, because it is tiring. So um, you just have to go. You have to go to Israel and check it out. So we read here first, and I think it's fitting, the high priest is the first one we read of building with his fellow priests. The sheep gate is the gate that would be brought in, the sacrifices for washing. They would bring the sheep in, they would be washed. And their priestly calling did not deter them from getting their hands dirty doing some menial work. I think that's good. That though they serve the Lord, you see everything they did was consecrated. It says that they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They built as far as the tower and consecrated it. That means to sanctify, to set it apart for God. This was for God. That's why they built. And along, and next to them, we see the men of Jericho built. 
So these men had come from a distance. They were Jews, but they lived in Jericho, and they came to work on the wall. So it wasn't just those who lived within or worked within the confines of the city walls who labored, but we see people of the plain, people from Jericho, who came and worked alongside one another to accomplish this work. Banded together in his service. Verse 3, Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Arijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baanah, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. In verse 3, we don't read of Hasenaah building, but his sons did. His sons are unnamed, but I was thinking, as a dad, how awesome would that be for my kids to be about God's work, even when I'm not around or unable to do it myself? Perhaps he was old. Perhaps he wasn't around anymore. He'd gone to be with the Lord, but for whatever reason, his sons, they carried on the labor. And that's what I want. I want to have a legacy uh, that's God's legacy, where people are raised up to do God's work, whether I'm watching them or not, whether they're around or not. A legacy that God honors is more than one of bricks and mortar or something that's going to stand for the test of time, but disciples made in Jesus' name. That, that we would not at all be recognized, but Jesus would receive the glory for our lives. It's far more lasting. I imagine that if Hasenaah could have built, he would have, because we see that that's what his sons did. In this passage, we'll see the word repairs over and over and over, about 26 times by my count in the New King James. And this word is defined in the Strong's as to be strong, Figurative, courageous, causative, strengthen, cure, help, repair, or fortify. So this word to repair, it goes beyond just building walls or rubble, but really in relationships and in our church, that we would be edifying one another. We'd be building one another up, strengthening, encouraging each other through the love of God. The primary purpose of the church is not just to add more people to it, but to strengthen it and make it effective and useful to help people enter into their calling so that they can make disciples, so they can be discipled as we disciple one another, as we follow Jesus. When we're willing and obedient to sow the seed of God's word, it will be fruitful. There will be a reward for our efforts. Verse 5, as I read this, really stood out where it says, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Tekoa is about 18 kilometers south of Jerusalem, but the Tekoites were avid workers. In verse 27, we read that this group, they also worked on another section of the wall. So they had two sections they were working on, but their nobles were not really that noble in that they did not actually do the work that they were given. Whether they were delegating the work as Nehemiah walked by, he would see them not being on task. They just weren't putting in the effort. Perhaps they uh, they felt like, well, as a noble, my job is just to tell people what to do. 
instead of actually doing it. But there was something for them to do that they didn't do. Now, they were not going to receive a reward from God because of their nobility or their titles or their social status, but according to the work he had given them. And that's true for us, too, that there's no position or role in the body of Christ where it's your job to tell other people to do something that you're not already doing yourself. You should be doing the work. We have to be practicing it. Jesus said that we should love one another as he has loved us. He didn't say this to people to try to convince us to love one another without first loving us. So we too, we're to follow that example. He says, you should be washing people's feet as I have washed your feet. Not like, hey, I'm the boss, you guys should be washing feet. It wasn't below him to humble himself to be a servant. Jesus led the way in love. He didn't just put his shoulder to the work, but his whole body was nailed to a cross. His blood was shed so we could live. Verse 6. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Bosodea, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jaden, the Moronathite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Haraiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Raphaeah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. In verse 7, we read of the Gibeonites. That was a native group of people, rather infamous of how they were brought in, because they deceived Joshua. God had told the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt not to make a league with any people of the land. And when the Gibeonites heard of how God had been mighty in destroying Jericho and Ai, though they were a royal and mighty city, they said, we don't stand a chance. So let's disguise ourselves to appear old, like we've been making a long journey with old clothes and uh, moldy bread and our sandals falling off our feet, wearing tattered clothes, and say, we've come from a far country, make a league with us, which they did. Joshua did not seek the Lord, but he looked at the provisions. He saw they were old and moldy. Their, their wineskins had been trussed up to try to repair them and said, all right, we'll make a league with you. Come to find out they were neighbors. So they said, well, we've sworn to you in the name of the Lord that we will be partners or we'll have a treaty. But there is a condition, it says in Joshua 9.27. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So they were servants. They were to be employed about the gathering of wood, um, to carry water. That was their job. They basically had a job now to serve in the congregation. Later, we read that King Saul persecuted the Gibeonites. He went and killed many of them. And yet, here we see that they were faithful to God and to the service of the people. They were on task, even though they had plenty of reason to have jumped ship a long time ago. They're working. We see Gibeonites, a goldsmith, a perfumer. 
a leader of half the district of Jerusalem, making repairs. They're repairing the gate, the residence of the governor. They fortified the wall. People from all over engage in this grand task of completing the wall. And one thing we learn from this is that your perceived ability may not be what you assume it to be. It's not necessarily your your area of expertise in which you have been gifted by God. The goldsmith did not limit himself to just working with gold. I'm a goldsmith, I work with gold. Or the perfumer with spices and ointment and balm. You see, a perfumer building a wall or fixing a gate, doing these tasks. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the goldsmith, the perfumer alike, they were assigned portions that they were enabled by God to complete. And they worked together to this end. And as we join together, people from all over the world, people from all over our city, far and near, as we seek to serve the Lord, He can use you and He can use me to make disciples, to love God, to love others. Whether you're a tradie, you could be a teacher. If you're a professional worker, you can serve the Lord in a menial, what would some consider a menial job. I like what Paul wrote about the body of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. He says, and he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As Jesus is the head of the church, we are members of his body with individual gifts and talents and, a, a, I guess, a, a sphere where he's placed you. We can work as a single unit for his glory. Ephesians 4.16, it says, From whom Christ, the whole body, joined and knit together by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If you are a Christian, what share has God given to you? What has he made you stewards of? Whether a talent or a relationship, a role in the body of Christ? And are you seeking to stir up the gift that he's given you? Are you seeking to use that for his glory? As we labor together, it's kind of like a body that's pumping iron. There's going to be gains. If we have good nutrition and we keep at it, there's going to be physical changes that are beneficial for us. And it's true. As we uh, watch our diet, you think about it in a spiritual sense, as we monitor the things that come into our eyes and that go into our ears and the, th- the, the things that we're thinking and ruminating on, um, putting away sin from our lives, we begin to be transformed to the image of Christ. Verse 10. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashtub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section, as well as the tower of the ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, 
and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hasarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalon, the son of Kolhose, leader of the leader, a leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. What stairs those must have been. So Jediah, he's making repairs right in front of his house. For Shalom, it was a family affair. He and his daughters worked together. Isn't that great? You have sons and daughters working together. I find it inspiring, a book called Do Hard Things. Has anyone here read that? By uh, Alex and Brett Harris. Teens at the time, writing a book to fellow teens. Really trying to say, hey guys, we can make a difference in this world. That modern culture has a very low expectation for teens these days. Um, consequently, teens don't believe they really have a place in the world. They're kind of expected to, to, uh, to not be going to the prayer meeting or to, um, like we have to make things really fun to attract them because they really don't, I mean, they don't really want to know about God like we do or, uh, we can fall into that trap of trying to make things, um, fun instead of fulfilling. Like, God has a purpose for your life, whether you're 16 or 8 or 38, that there is something God wants to use you for to do in this world. And we can keep that bar very low, say, well, at least they're going to youth group, at least they're not on drugs, rather than saying, hey, they're doing this for God. They're serving the Lord in this capacity. They're putting me to shame. That's good for us to be stirred up and to consider as a young person and an older person. Are we using what God's given us to actively serve God in church and community? And I'm blessed beyond measure when I see parents and kids working together, whether it's in JJ's or cleaning up or uh, taking out rubbish or at Camp Kedron, where we see parents and kids, young people serving together. That's exciting because people are catching that vision of serving people in Christ's name, um, realizing of the joy and the calling that it is, the privilege we have to serve God. We can make an internal impact that endures. Now, it may not be that God's called you to spend a week at Camp Kedron, let's say, or to go to Cambodia. Maybe he's placed something else on your heart, something more local in your household, in your community. I ask you, are you seeking the Lord about this? Are you asking him about how you can practically put into practice the desires he's placed within your heart? Because God gives, Holy, he gives, the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to um, his will and talents according to our abilities. We see some people here, they fixed up gates. Other people repaired sections of wall. We see that Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa, they repaired the valley gate and 460 meters of wall. Now, that's a big chunk of wall, and it's on that slope. Like, that's a big job. Now, we're those, I'm saying me, I can be this way, where I begin to compare my efforts with those of others. And I say, that guy, he's doing a gate, 460 meters of wall. Why should I even bother? I can't do that. 
Like, I'd be lucky just to do a gate. If I just did the area in front of my house. Or you may see people go, well, you know, the part in front of my house is really rather plain. I would rather have a high-profile job around the Temple Mount. You know, rubbing shoulders with the priests, get to do something that'll last, where it's like, hey, I worked on the sheep gate, and I can say that. And so we, we begin to compare, and we, we aren't content with where God's placed us. What if, what if Shalom decided it would better to let someone do the work because he didn't think his daughters would want to get dirty? Hey, they were willing to get dirty. They built that wall. They're here in the Bible. Him and his daughters. And maybe people go, oh, you know, didn't have a son. Well, he may have had sons. All we read about is those daughters that faithfully labored. And may we be those who faithfully labor. Regardless of the distance, it may just be a little bit. You don't do 460 meters of wall until you've done one. Will you do one? Will you do that one thing right before you that God has told you to do? He's not telling you to do 460 right away. He's saying, just do this one. Who knows how much you'll, how far you'll go? Because I'm going to be the one doing it. I will help you. He's the one who's put it in your heart to do a work for him. And he wants to work in you and through you. Don't think your efforts are useless or without merit because they're not out in front or because it's not as much as someone else. It doesn't get quite the, the fanfare. 2 Corinthians 10.12, it says, It's unwise to measure or compare ourselves with ourselves or with others. We don't have to compare. God's given you something. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. Let's see those being used for Him in our worship of God for His glory. Verse 16, After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Bethzur, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David, to the man-made pool, and as far as the house of the mighty. After him, the Levites, under Rehum, the son of Bani, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabiah, leader of the half of the district of Kela, made repairs for his district. After him, their brethren, under Bavai, the son of Henadad, leader of the other half of the district of Kela, made repairs. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, carefully repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Now, we don't see these points of reference today because, of course, the walls that Nehemiah built, they don't exist today. A couple thousand years have passed. Well, more than that. Um, almost 2,500 years have passed since those walls were built. But I like the historical um, landmarks that are here, like the armory house. That would be read about if you were to read through the Chronicles or read through um, other even books outside Scripture, where you can know this is actually true. This is historically accurate. It's in the right place on the wall at the right time. And we see that there's leaders working together. Isn't that cool? Leaders working side by side to the same purpose. And I think about various churches that God has placed in our city, around our homes, where God wants to use us all to work together. We're not in competition with anyone. We're to be serving the Lord 
under the guidance of Christ, looking to do what God has given us to do. God has seen fit to plant us back here in the back of an industrial estate. And God has placed you in your family with brothers and sisters and parents, with children, with neighbors that we're called to love and to serve. I like the description of Baruch, the son of Zebai. It says how he carefully repaired a section. Now, the King James, I think, puts this a little better because the original Hebrew in the King James, it says earnestly. When I looked at the word in Hebrew, it says to glow or grow warm, figurative, usually to blaze up of anger, zeal, or jealousy. So this guy, frankly, attacked it. He just mauled it. He... he he had a way of working that was different than the ways that other people were working. They go, wow, that guy, that guy, he, he is earnestly repairing. So it wasn't just long, but with a sense of fury. Like he was really working hard. And this shows me that God's given us different work to do. All, all part of one wall, all part of one purpose to serve the Lord. But we might do it a little differently than someone else. Your style may be a little different, and that's okay. In here, it was notable, the difference, how he earnestly repaired. And uh, some people we might judge as being too harsh or too soft. But for someone, it's going to be just right. And uh, we can resist judgments. We should, we should not judge, like say, ah, oh, you know, about this guy and that guy. How about us being earnest in what we, God has called us to do, what he's called me to do? So I love Baruch. He's a cool guy. He's one of my heroes from this passage. Verse 21. After him, Merimoth, the son of Erijah, the son of Koz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the plain, made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masaiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section. From the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Palal and the son of Uzai made repairs opposite the buttress. And on the tower which projects from the king's upper house, that was by the court of the prison. After him, Pedaiah, the son of Parosh, made repairs. Moreover, the Nethanim, who dwelt in Ophel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. We see people of the plain, people within the city, working on this wall. And Nehemiah conserved the energy of people by having them work close to their homes. Like, why should they work at the other side of the wall when they could work right in front of their homes? Years ago, we had some visitors who came from Wollongong. And they came for three weeks in a row. And I was like, I, I could see them physically getting very tired. I said, you know, there's probably a lot of Bible teaching churches between Wollongong and here where you could actually be involved beyond just driving to and from. And so I encouraged them to find, like, you don't have to come here. You can go at a place where God's called you, where you can actually be involved. And I think they were relieved to hear that. Um, but it was it was great to see. I was very impressed with that sort of dedication to come all that way. Um, but know that God has you where he wants you, 
and he wants to be using you where you are. I like in Acts 1.8, Jesus promised this in the Holy Spirit to his followers. He said, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were first called to be witnesses right where they were in Jerusalem. And then they would go out from there. And wherever you are, that's where we need to be serving the Lord first. And then it could be on the other side of the city where he calls you. It could be on the other side of the world, like in my case. Why I was happy to spend out my days in San Diego and God's brought me to Australia and, and it's been awesome to see him work. I love that you don't need to be a professional mason to build a wall and you don't have to be an ordained pastor to be a qualified witness for Jesus Christ wherever he has you. Some were happy to work in front of their own homes and some people worked in front of other people's homes, like Eliashib, right? The high priest, he's working on the sheep gate. Well, he had people that worked in front of his house. And I say, well, Eliashib, why don't you work in front of your house and I'll work in front of my house? But that's not how it works. God may call. We have to be willing to receive help. Like, I'm happy that they're working in front of my house and I'm happy to work in front of their house because we're all working together on the same thing, to the thing that God's called us to. We have to be willing to be helped and to help. Verse 27, After them the Tekoites repaired another section next to the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Beyond the horse gate the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. After them Zadok the son of Immer made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, keeper of the east gate, made repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nephinim and of the merchants, in front of the Mikvad gate, and as far as the upper room at the corner. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Again, the nobles weren't working very hard of the Tekoites, but we see the Tekoites noble in doing work. The priests are making repairs in front of their homes. And this reminds me how important it is for us to keep our homes in order. Like they were working in front of their homes, and us as followers of Jesus, we, we should not let our family relationships suffer in the name of ministering unto the Lord. We should not neglect the maintenance of marriage and child-parent relationships in our homes because we feel like the need is so great outside the home. We need to make sure to maintain that. We can even make this more personal still that we need to set a guard over our own hearts before we even speak about family that I would make sure that I'm keeping my vessel in honor, that I'm honoring God with the things that I look at, with the things that I do. And it would have been a tragedy for a priest to make a good show on the wall where they go, what a devout man. Look at those long hours he's putting in, but be neglecting his spouse and his family at home. I believe it's easier to maintain the image of a servant on the outside than to truly love others as Jesus has called us to, whether it's our family or our neighbors, right? We can put on a good show. 
I don't think we, we say, I'm going to put on a good show. But I think we can live that way. It's almost easier to, to win people over to your side when the family is in a mess. And your per, the perception that people have of you is not a reality of how your life is at home. And so we need to make sure that we're making our homes a priority. We're bringing God into it. And we're serving the Lord together. And we're in the scriptures and we're praying with one another. All work, it requires time, effort, and discipline. And we cannot expect healthy relationships unless we maintain them. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was saying, hey guys, you need to decide if you're going to serve idols or if you're going to serve God. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And grammatically, we would say, you should say, my house and I will serve the Lord. But he doesn't. He says, me, me first. I'm actually serving the Lord and my house. He's not telling his house to serve the Lord. Well, he's not. He's saying, I am serving the Lord and my family is going to serve God too. So he had the order right. It's good for us to do that. We see all these people gathered together. Tekoites, priests, keeper of the gate, Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf. No mention of the other five sons, but here he is. Goldsmiths, merchants, every part of the wall, every gate, section, stone, critical to the completion of the whole thing. And everyone had their part, and they worked together. They were willing and obedient to the directives provided by Nehemiah. And in one of the commentaries I read, it spoke of how this shows our service to God is not about ability, but availability. And and I'm not particularly fond of that cliche uh, as a point of application. Because when it comes to laboring for God, it's true it's not about my ability. It's about God's ability. So it is about ability. It's about God's ability to accomplish what he wants. It's about God's ability to do everything. And let's not forget that God has given us talents and abilities. He has given you abilities, and he wants to use them for him. In the parable, Jesus told his stewards that, uh, in the parable he said, the master gave the stewardship of talents to those according to their ability. There were some people who were only responsible for a section in front of their house. There were other people responsible for a 460-meter section. There were some who were responsible over 460 meters and a gate. Right? They had it all. So there was differing responsibilities that people had. They were accountable before their master for different things. It's such a blessing that God in the body has brought together doctors and lawyers and painters and goldsmiths and taxi drivers and businessmen and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. And he's brought us all together to be doing his work. We can use our talents and abilities, but we're not limited by them. I think that's the point. God has given you abilities, but he is not limited by the abilities that you perceive you have. He can do everything. The second part of that cliche, it's not about ability, but availability. Availability, to me, sounds very passive. It sounds like I'm available between the hours of this and that. You imagine if you're in the military and your commanding officer told you to do something, you say, well, I'm available between this and this time. 
How would that go for you? Not very well, because it's, it suggests that you are still exerting a control over your own life. It's very passive. It's like, I have an open door policy. I am available. It's putting the ball in the other person's court to do something. Like, God, I'm available before you. So you just have to do something. No, the scripture says that we are to be seeking God actively and we're not our own. We can't just be available. We have to seek him because he is our life. He has purchased us. We are his children. We are his slaves. We are his ambassadors. We're his workers. So more than availability, it's true in one sense. Yes, to be available, to be ready, to be open for business, to be yielded to him. But I believe more than that, willing obedience is required. Willingness and obedience to do the one thing that God has put before you. We are able, through Christ, to do all God commands us because it's him doing the work. We can be confident in that. Now, in addition to willingness and obedience, there's two other traits I want to address as we seek to God do God's work together. And the first is contentment. Maybe Zadok would have rather worked on that sheep gate. He always walks through the sheep gate, and he's like, I'd really like to work on this. This is a job I would like. But God had him working right in front of his own house. And it was kind of a plain part of the wall, or it was really steep, and it was difficult. Like, ah, the hauling the stones is such a job. It's just, am I really cut out for this? I'm getting kind of old. You know, my back, I'm feeling it every morning. But no, Zadok was content to work in the portion he was given. He was given a portion. That's where he worked. If you could turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13, we'll read of something that Paul says, and Understand the context is that of contentment. Oftentimes we hear this verse applied to a, a wide range of things, but the immediate context is contentment. Philippians 4, 11-13 Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things is obviously not limited to contentment, but that is the uh, immediate context of this passage. So he's saying, I find contentment in Christ whether I am poor I'm not just desiring more money because I'm content in Christ. And, and when I'm rich, I'm not finding my security in riches because I am content in Christ. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, I am able to be content. I have learned these things. God had helped him to learn contentment. So people who are working on the wall, they put aside their typical trades, the goldsmiths, the perfumers, and they were going to, they were going to Forget about making their income like they were used to and working in the field where they were comfortable. They chose to do something totally outside of that in trusting the Lord, content that they were doing the Lord's work. See, God's looking for people who will work behind the scenes unseen as hard as if they were a preacher or a pastor. And teachers and pastors had better be working behind the scenes as well, 
that we're all called to labor, whether it's a high-profile area like the fish gate or the dung gate. It is a gate. It's where the waste was carried out of the city. Probably not the most high-profile job. But you know, it was a necessary part of that wall. If you could please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133, I'll talk about the final component that I want to bring out. So we have willing obedience, contentment, and unity. Our roles, our personalities are different, but we serve the same Savior with the purpose of His glory to strengthen the body, to make the church effective in this world, to share His love with others. Psalm 133. And there's there's a picture here of Aaron being anointed as the picture of unity. And it's pretty cool. Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We began this passage talking about the high priest, Eliashib, and now Psalm 133 describes It is so good, it's so pleasant when God's people are together, serving God, united as one. It's like that oil poured upon the head that's running down the beard. And and the six names were on one shoulder, six names on the other. The ephod, all 12 names, and the oil is poured over and it's flowing over everything. The same oil covering all the way down to the edge of the garments where it's dripping off. It says we're all one. And it's beautiful imagery when you think of Christ as the high priest and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him and how he is the head and the oil, the Holy Spirit, has come from him and it flows over all of us in his body to accomplish what he desires for his glory. And we see there's refreshment there. It says it's like the dew of Hermon. I don't know that you'd like to have yourself bathed in oil, but um, I think like Peter, he say, Lord, wash all of me, cover all of me. Just, uh, I want to be yours. And you see this dew where it's refreshing. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest point in Israel. It's the only place we can go ski in Israel today. I forget how high it is, but it's pretty high elevation. And you think how good and pleasant it is when we're united together. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. We're empowered to love one another, to bless, to serve, to do the thing that he's called us. And if we're being envious of others, if if we're jealous of them, if we're judgmental, if we're unwilling to obey God and we're not content where he has us, then we cannot experience the refreshment and the, the goodness of the life he's called us to. We're either building up the body of Christ or we're actively tearing it down. It says in Proverbs 14.1, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. We can be building or we can be tearing down. And everyone that we've read about this morning, they were builders. They united under the Lord and he enabled them to do a remarkable thing. So brothers and sisters, let's be united in willing obedience, contentment, unity, in loving the Lord, serving one another. And God has made a way for you to contribute 
to his glory, for his kingdom, to use you powerfully. And it will be him, not you, not based upon your abilities or your efforts, but because of his goodness. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Our labor is all about God's ability being revealed in our weakness, because in our weakness, we find his strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for this, these pictures and these people, Lord, who served you in such a practical way, who did a really hard thing, and it was you who did it. Thank you, Lord, that uh, in our lives there are many things that, that remain undone, and I pray that you would help us by your Spirit to unite together to fear your name, to love you, to repent, to serve, to uphold, and to revere you as you deserve. Lord, you are an awesome God. Thank you that you, your love never fails, that you are faithful and true. You are the great I am, and you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we magnify you, Lord. Forgive us when we have been about our business, and uh, lead us, Lord, to that place where you would have us serve, that we would be content and united in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.